Rabbi Tovia Singer is the founder and director of Outreach Judaism, an international organization dedicated to countering the efforts of fundamentalist Christian groups and cults who specifically target Jews for conversion. As a world-renowned public speaker, Rabbi Singer addresses more than 100 audiences a year. His numerous YouTube videos are viewed by millions of people every month from around the world. He's the author of the two-volume series, Let's Get Biblical, Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah? and is a frequent guest on television and radio shows. I sat down with Tovia in his studio in Jerusalem, where we discussed why it's problematic for Jews to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, how Jews become vulnerable to being missionized, and what to do about it. I'm Barack Holman, the author of Figure It Out When You Get There, a memoir of stories about living life first and watching how everything falls into place, and a shtikl shalom, a student, his mentor, and their unconventional conversations. And this is Jewish People and Ideas, a podcast of conversations with Jewish thought leaders about contemporary Jewish topics. This episode of Jewish People and Ideas is sponsored by JerusalemEverything.com, an online Jerusalem artist cooperative which sells high-quality original Jewish art in Judaica at low-cost prices, all made in Israel and shipped from Jerusalem. To learn more, go to JerusalemEverything.com. I want to start with your origin story. Every, su- <laughs> every superhero has an origin story. And you're a normal person in normal life, but when you put on your costume and go out to fight evil, you're in a sense a superhero for a lot of Jews. How did you end up going from a yeshiva student, growing up in an Orthodox home, your father is a rabbi, and you are an expert in Christianity and going out there lecturing, speaking, helping people to find the truth? How did that come about? first time I ever read the Christian Bible, I was 16, turning 17. It was here in Jerusalem, in the Old City, visiting my uncle who lived at the time in the Old City on Rechov Mizgavladach, and he had a Christian Bible which he showed me when he first saw me on the street because he was very proud that he had it. Why was my uncle proud? Because the Shabbos before I arrived in Yerushalayim, a minister who he met at Steinmetzky's bookstore stayed in his house for Shabbos and Saturday night after Shabbat was over, he actually gave my uncle a gift, a present. Some people for Shabbos bring wine. This guy gave him a King James Bible. Such a nice thing. Look, he gave him not only any, a red letter edition. My uncle's go, look at this. We got the manual from the other team. Now, Normally, this would be completely odious to me, but as it turns out, um, a few months before that, I had met missionaries on the streets of New York on Fifth Avenue. My uncle's brother, who's my father, we all were having dinner in New York City in Midtown, and I saw people hanging up signs saying, learn more about your Jewish Messiah, come to Jews for Jesus. In in Brooklyn? In New York, in Manhattan, Midtown Manhattan. Uh-huh. It was on Fifth Avenue, exactly, it was like, it was in the 40s, right smack Midtown Manhattan on Fifth Avenue on a Saturday night, maybe it was 11 o'clock, and then they were pasting up these posters. I was, I was so mortified that a Jew should become a Christian, and that Christians are still trying to convert us? They don't, they have such a chutzpah? I mean, I grew up in a world... I was born 15 years after the Holocaust. In my world, in Brooklyn, the 60s and 70s, people walking around, they had numbers on their arm. Sure, in Miami Beach, where I grew up as well. And it wasn't the 60s. That was everything. I mean, it was that the Shoah is, so, so, there's no words. It's just that shapes everything that you think. It's not the only thing, but, and I knew a number of things. And one of those is that the Shoah, the, the worst trauma the Jewish people ever endured. A third of Klai Yisrael was murdered by the European Christians. There were no 
Buddhist countries that are involved in this. I knew where it came from. The idea that you should join that religion would be unbelievable. And that Christians are trying to convert Jews to give us a give us a break. Don't you get off like one century? Like, don't you get like a, you know, just, I was mortified by it. And I began to argue with these missionaries in the street corners. I was a typical yeshiva kid. I went to the mirror. My father's a Rosh Hashiva. And when I was speaking to them, I realized that the conversation was going nowhere very quickly. And moreover, I wasn't familiar with all the the things they were saying. They were quoting from the Christian Bible. They're quoting passages. I just, I realized this Something had to be done. God didn't, I didn't hear God speak to me. I didn't hear any voices or see any vision, but I knew I had to do something. I was completely ill-equipped to do this. When my uncle showed me this King James Bible, I told him that's what I want to read. And I began to study it. And it was, it was horrifying. It was a horrifying experience of reading this. And I knew, I was certain that I was the only kid in my yeshiva who was reading a King James Bible. But I knew that I had to. I knew that I needed to study this to understand what's going on here, what's happening here. And it was much worse than I ever imagined. I realized then the way the Jews are portrayed in the Gospels in such a dark way, I realized that actually these Christians were not crazy. Until then, I thought they were nuts. I thought they were just all insane. But I realized that the literature so characterized the Jew as a demonic people, they called that in the, in the Gospels, that it was Luther was completely rational. Calvin was rational. The church was well rational in their anti-Semitism, and it was born out of Christianity. And it came from, the literature was from the church. You don't find anything remotely like this in the Bhagavad Gita and Hindu texts and so on. And then I began to speak to Jews who had become Christians. I met one at the Western Wall. I was davening, I was praying there, because, you know, could see the wall from my uncle's roof. And I was davening at the Western Wall. The first time I was there, I was just shocked. I was davening in a way I was having an experience that I'd never felt before. In the middle of davening, I felt a tap on my shoulder. And there was a fellow standing behind me with a, a kippah, the cardboard one they give off. And he asked me if, he says, do you know the Lord? He said, you mean you know who Yeshua is? I was stunned. And there's a young man from Long Island. And we began to study together. I was in Israel for two weeks, and I essentially devoted those two weeks to this young fellow. And we continued to study together when we both returned to the United States. And eventually he did tshuva, and he returned back to the Jewish faith. He's a rough today. When that happened, I said, wow, like, this can be done. Because until then, when speaking to mission, it was like talking to a wall. It was like nothing happened. Then I realized this can be done. The only thing is you have to understand where they're coming from, understand that there's a broken heart, these are spiritually sensitive kids. It takes time to get what's going on there, all the subtext. So I felt at the time that something had to be done, and I just felt that this was no doubt the right thing. This is what Hashem wanted me to do. And then when I saw it, it can be done, then I realized I had to devote my life to this because there was nothing else going on. You know, there was no one else. There was nothing else going on. There was books written by Karaites a couple hundred or a couple hundred years early, but it's very, very literal. So things had to be published, had to be written, and I had to, and, that, and that's where what I knew that this was my tough kid. I knew that, I sh- look, when I say I know, Again, there's no voice, but I felt, always did, that I was I was conceived for the purpose of bringing Jews out of the church and hopefully bring the redemption closer. So uh, growing up, I had lots of people talk to me about Christianity, try to missionize in all kinds of ways. There was no chance. I was I was never interested in any of that. But always in the back of my head, I thought, well, what is the big deal? If somebody decides to remain a Jew, even keep Shabbos, Kashrut, live a halachic life, 
and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What? Why is that such a big deal? I, I thought it was the most horrible thing in the world. Why was it such a big deal? Because it was a, it was just pure idolatry. To me, it was horrifying. It, it was be like a, joy, a Jew would join Hamas. It, it was like a Jew would be worshiping idols. I mean, you see it in Tanakh where people are worshiping statues and idols. And, and I remember in Borough Park there was one church. Maybe there was another one. I never saw it in Seventeenth Avenue. I think it's Forty Fourth Street. Around there is this church called Holy Ghost Church. Holy Ghost Church. I'm not kidding. It's right there. It's probably still there. And sometimes you walk up 17th Avenue and it had wrought iron black bars around it. And I'll look there. And in the center of the lawn, I couldn't go in, and not that I want to, but in the lawn, there was a statue of Mary. And sometimes the doors will be open on Sunday. And I would look inside and I can see more statues. And I see guys walking on the Yamakon. I'm going, these people are insane. This is crazy. This is exactly what I mean, it was so horrifying. Like, that would be like me joining the Ku Klux Klan. It was like, it's precise that there's three gods in one. And they would, and they, I remember there were girls walking around. We grew up in maybe different worlds with, with wedding dresses when they were 12, whatever years old. It's one of the sacraments. I, it was horrifying as I believe there's one God and three persons. And I'm going, oh, man. You know, I'll tell you an interesting thing. You know, when I studied Tanakh, I was very puzzled why people worshiped idols. I don't know about you, but one of the things, I never expressed it because it happened. I know a story. But I like, what would you, why would you worship an idol? Like, I mean, when you read tonight, eh, they worship idols, graven, like in done. Like, what, why? And then here it is. They're doing it. I mean, it's like, here it is, the Bible live, but bad stuff. So I was so mortified that there should be a religion that teaches such things and, and that would teach things that, that characterize the Jews in such a dark way that would oppose everything the prophets had said that I was just horrified by. It. That world was so... The strange thing is that one... This is the odd thing, if I can add. So I thought as a kid that Christians were nuts. Really, something really wrong with them. When I read the Christian Bible and met nice Christians, because I travel, that they were clearly nice people, then it all made sense to me. These are really nice people that are just reading this literature. And if I was exposed to this literature all my life, I too would hate me. And or I too would believe all these things. And I realized that I had to do something. It's so obvious, so clear that you could save so many of these neshamas who are suffering so much and who could be redeemed. How could you not want to do this? So the answer wasn't clear to me. And this is an important point for me because, like you said, I don't have any, I personally don't have any desire to worship idols. I'm not interested in any other religion. But is there really a problem if somebody believes this? I, ha I know people here in Jerusalem that live basically halachic lives, but they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's an important thing for them. And I basically don't have anything to do with them. But why, what is really the problem? You're saying the problem is that they're embracing evil? They're embracing idol worship? It's like watching someone taking drugs on the street. And there are people in the city that do take drugs. Okay, that's uh, a clear I, example. That's a clear example. Like an alcoholic, you're saying. You're seeing someone who's killing themselves. I mean, the, the you know, let's break this down because Christians use the word Messiah and Jews use the word Messiah. Mm -hmm. And although we're using the same word, actually in Hebrew, Mashiach, Messiah is Latin, we're using the same, the same words, 
We mean something completely different. We're using a completely different dictionary. Okay, so this is important. So this is very, very important. So you'll think, oh, we, you know, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. We believe somebody else is the Messiah. We believe he's going to come. They believe he's coming a second time. But it's basically worship the same God. Basically, yeah. People normally don't study this, but nothing could be further from the truth. The fundamental understandings of Christianity is man's effort to create God in his image. Judaism, conversely, is God's successful endeavor in creating man in his image. They're entirely different. In, in, in Christianity, God is a triune Godhead, a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Torah teaches, The glory of Israel will never like. He's not a man. He'll change his mind. God is not a man that'll change his mind. He's not a mortal. I'll repent, First Samuel fifteen twenty nine and Numbers twenty three nineteen, and so all over. Chas v'chalila. Two is these people believe that in vicarious atonement that a innocent person could be killed to atone for the sins of the wicked. This is utterly pagan. Now, if you go in Mexico, they throw, they took virgins in, in the Mayans and Aztecs. They all did this. They had, they would kill girls. Twelve, we find the bodies of, of tens of thousands of girls where they slaughtered virgins and babies were put into Molech. But why virgins and babies? What's the Tzad Hashem? What do these two have in common? They're innocent. That's the idea. And the idea always in all these pagan religions is that if you appease the gods by killing the innocent and everyone else, then you'll have a harvest and you'll have children and all these things. Teres is chasva chalila. Why was there never a religion that decided that to atone for our sins, we're going to take rapists, murderers, and bank robbers and kill them? Never, because they don't atone for anything. This is a sick, depraved idea that it's a you i'm sure people study ezekiel with in chapter 18 as an example yeah so warns is the innocent cannot die for the sins of the wicked and for the wicked person if you turn from your sinful ways you'll surely live you will not die is it my desire at all to punish the wicked uh, is it rather not that they should return from their sinful ways and live ezekiel 18 21 22 23 i mean so it's not that uh, we're just we He's a Met fan, and we're Yankee fans. Oh, God, no. The least of our differences is that they're misidentifying the Messiah. That's the one thing that's really not important. What is vital is the nature of God. Is he Unitarian? That is, he one and not another? Because HaKadosh Baruch says, there is no one like me, nothing, Isaiah 46, uh, 46, verse 3. There is, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant who I have chosen, so that you know and understand me and believe that I am him, and besides me, there is there is no one before there is no God formed before me, nor will there be one after me. Isaiah 43, verse 10, verse 11. Anoichi, anoichi, I am the Lord, and besides me, verse 11, there is no Savior, nothing. So this is pure idolatry, and it's the worst form of idolatry. Because the Torah says, it's the first of the Ten Commandments. The first thing is, this is the number one. That's the, the commandment not to worship statues and graven images is the second prohibition. the gods on my face. What does Hashem say on my face? What do you need that? Torah is perfect. There's not one extra letter, let alone an extra word. What do you need? Stop. What do you need? Alpanay means on my face, because this is the problem. People, oh yeah, we believe in the Jewish God, but we also believe in and Yeshua, that he was God. We believe in all the kinds of other gods. And this is the biggest problem. Jews generally they worship idols. Doesn't mean they they denied God. I'll give you an example. It's unbelievable. We can, we're here in Yerushalayim, but if we drove well, a little more than now, we'd be in Mount Carmel. How long would it take? We go to Mount Carmel, and what we do is, my holy brothers and sisters, open your, open your Navi. 
opened the Navi to First Kings chapter 18. Prophets. Yes, the, the prophets, First Kings chapter 18. What do we have there? We have Jews who are worshipping Baal, and on Mount Carmel, two altars were set up. Each were to bring a an offering and to see which offering was to be accepted. It was terrible idol worship in that this area. This is Eliyahu? This is Elijah the prophet. Uh, so this is near Haifa you're talking about. Right, right. Yeah. And Elijah says this unbelievable verse. He says this, he turns to these Jews who are worshipping Baal, and he says this, he says, he says, how long are you going to hold between these two opinions? Either choose God or choose Baal. So it's very clear these were Jews for Baal. They believed in the Father, but they also believed in another God on top of that. It's very clear Jews were always integrating it. The idolatry, and that's the worst thing you can do. It is worse to do that than to just bow down to a statue. It's really bad to bow down to a statue. But the worst thing you do is to be married and sending text messages to another man. It's very clear that adultery is worse than two people just having a relationship just outside of marriage. Adultery is the worst thing you can do. And adultery is mentioned in the Ten, the, the ten Commandments. That's that's the really bad thing. So what shutfis is, this horrifying, it's called a shirk in Arabic, this horrific form of idolatry, the worst is that you're married, but you're still sending messages to somebody else. You're praying to somebody else. That's the worst thing you can do. I mean, imagine for a moment that you're married, and then you find out, your wife is sending get, sending a birthday card to her ex-boyfriend every year. And you would find it. You would be, I don't know if you get divorced, but it would be horrifying. Horrifying. It would be the most destructive thing. The most destructive thing. It means you want a relationship with me, and you Wow, that can't be. And Hashem is our husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, Isaiah 54. Point is, it's the biggest misnomer is the difference. They believe Jesus is the Messiah and we believe you know, the Messiah. The question is, is the Yankees or the Mets? The least difference in Judaism and Christianity is who we think the Messiah is. It's all about the nature of God. So you're saying it's spiritual adultery. And that's the term. Why do I use such strong language? Because that's exactly the lushing of Yermio. They all talk this way. It's a, you're, you're sleeping with another person. But Yermio, who's a Navi, who's here, a Kaddish Merechimim, who's a very, very holy man, he, he prophesied for 40 years in this country, where we are right now. Yermio says something very, very powerful. So the first few chapters of Yermio are very strong. They're very critical. If I tell you, you have to like brace yourself for it. We actually read that as part of two half Torahs during the three weeks between um, Shiva's 17th day of Tammuz and the ninth day of Av. So there are three weeks. It's called the Shlesh de Peronius. We read three half Torahs, means portions of the prophets, in that accompany the standard reading from the Torah. And those three weeks, we read three chapters that are really, you have to really brace yourself. Two of them come from Jeremiah. One of them comes from Isaiah chapter one. Jeremiah so if Jeremiah uses this metaphor, I mean, do not do not think for a moment that anything I'm saying is, is like hyperbole or I'm trying to shock anybody. This is the language of the Novi. But here's love. Here's love. So Yumiho asks a question. If a woman is married to a man and then she sleeps with another man, she has an adulterous relationship with another man and marries him, and eventually she leaves that man and can her husband take her back? Can a husband take back a woman who has gone to another man? So the answer is no. It's also The Torah says a man can never take back his adulterous wife. Once she leaves him another, he, the first husband cannot marry her. And that's what you did to me. But Koshbrook says, although that's the, that's the law for men, Hashem says, I want you to know something. I'll take you back. The problem the prophets realized was that people feel so broken, so unworthy, so sinful on a 
on a fundamental level, they feel that God would never forgive me. I mean, if tshuva, if repentance is so accessible, then why don't people just repent? If it really is that simple, why don't people just simply seize it? The prophets all address this problem. It's a massive problem. And the prophets explain this very simple, because people think that God would never, if you knew what I, about me, you would think, you would, you would never even talk to me. But Hashem says, I know you, and I want you home. And I, I will take you back, even though you have been adulterous. So that's the language. So it's very important that the difference in Christianity and Judaism is not who the identity of Messiah. I mean, Christians believe that you need to eat the body of the Messiah and drink his blood. That's ritual cannibalism. Everyone in Christianity believes that? That's a yes, general? Yes, 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 yes. That's called the Eucharist. Everyone believes that. The only difference is— I thought is, that was just Catholics. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. The, the Catholic, just two different views of what is going on when you're eating the body and drinking the blood. This is really old Christianity. Lest anyone think that this is like something like written in the third century, you just drop that idea. That goes all the way back to the earliest writings in the Christian canon in 1 Corinthians 11, 24, 25. And that's the Lord's Supper and we have it in the Gospels. The only difference is, is that I mean, it's just how to view it. So whereas Catholics and also Eastern Orthodox both believe this, that when you're eating the wafer and drinking the wine, there's a, a miracle of transubstantiation, which means that the that the wafer literally becomes the body of Jesus, and the wine, you're literally eating his body, and the wine literally literally becomes the, the, the blood. blood of Jesus. That's why the priest has to be celibate, and has to be like Jesus. He has to be that, because no one else can give the Eucharist. No one else can give it. Why can't anybody do it? Because it's really doing it, and only a priest who has that sacrament can do it. That's why it has to be done. There is a difference in theology between the East and the Western Church, but it's not germane to the question. The Protestants believe in that in the Eucharist. Of course they do. It's all over the Christian Bible. The only difference is they don't believe that the, the wafer turns into the body of Jesus and the, the wine turns into the blood of Jesus, but rather it's symbolically represented. But it, the belief that you have to eat the body, drink the blood, whereas literally or figuratively, is wow. It's so... It's so, so bad. If anybody is listening to this, watch this. Don't walk away from this. You have to run as fast as you can. To eat human body, drink of blood. We're in Tanakh. If you are a Christian first, if I said anything to you that offended you, I, I ask for your forgiveness. So I don't mean God forbid anything bad. You have to ask this, we're in Tanakh, does it say such a thing? This idea is hideous. And that's why the idea that Christ dwells in you, oh, this is a term we find all over Paul's, especially in Paul's, um, right, in letters. Christ dwells in you. Oh, literally dwells in you. Christ is in you. Are you filled with the body of Christ? You're going, oh my God. This is the chas the biggest mistake. Well, the thing is, you asked, oh, they happen to be wrong about who the Messiah is and we're right and they'll see him. But they have put in their, their neshama is something so horrible. Something. This is Edom. This is the fourth of the four kingdoms. This is the church. This is something so, hor so horrible. The thing is, we're living in a wonderful time. And thank God, many, 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 many Christians, Jews who became Christians, Baruch Hashem are coming home. But people need to know this. Because Christians believe in an impure monotheism, it's really a henotheism, they believe that God is limited, the Father is limited. See, their monotheism is not pure. It's really a henotheism. They believe in one basic God struck like the Greeks, but there is, of course, it allows for the Son does things the Father doesn't do. God can't forgive you without the blood. He can't. 
He needs the sun. Without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. According to Hebrews, Christian According to Christian doctrine. Yes, that's in Christian theology. We, God can do everything. But according to Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, it's a complete misquote of Leviticus 17.11. How do I want to overwhelm your, your Yeah, we've already religion. gone yes. so far The deep, point much is, it's, it's really spiritually so toxic, and it's important to stay away. But these people who get involved in the church, they really are generally very sincere people. They really, really mean well. And you have to show them through the Holy Scriptures. It's the only way, and then they want to come back. So I think you answered the question, but my next question was, what's the difference between a Jew for Jesus and a Messianic Chabadnik? So you have a Jew and a Jew. Both believe that different people are the Messiah, which I think you answered in the question, but maybe there's some yeah, nuance. So that, that, there's something all different. the difference. So, um, so there's, there's the point. I met the Rebbe myself many, many times. While he was alive, maybe he could have been Mashiach. I don't know. Um, he passed away. The generation wasn't worthy of it. Maybe, I, I don't know. But now he can't be Mashiach anymore. But as those Chabadniks, this is one of those questions that I jokingly say I wish you didn't answer. I'm happy you did. Um, it's important. Uh, who, who believe that he could be the Mashiach, although he died. Uh, and the Rambam clearly says that if person who you think is Mashiach dies, and he certainly can't be Mashiach. Uh, the difference is that they still, they don't hold in any Christology. They don't believe chas that he, anybody died for anybody's sins. Mm-hmm. Um, they they are complete monotheists. Of course they are. Um, they don't chas believe in all this stuff, all this stuff they utterly reject. So the difference is, is staggering there. Okay. It, it did, I will say this, that it did shocked me and many other people like getting kicked in the stomach. Like It's like someone just kicked me in the stomach when that happened. Because I remember when the Rebbe was sick and he was in Beth Israel. I forget which hospital he was in in New York. And and they were saying he was alive, but he had a horrible stroke. Real, He had another one years earlier, but this one was really catastrophic. And doctors essentially were saying that there was there was no way he was going to, he was not going to get out of this one. Uh, and they were saying that he's going to miraculously recover and that'll be the miracle. Uh, I've had conversations with Chabadnikim that believe the Rebbe is still alive. And I just want, I was just curious to see what these people had to say. I said, So where is the Rebbe living? He's still living in his house. Does he eat? Yeah. So there's some rabbi. They have like a whole philosophy of what's going on. It doesn't matter. The point that you made is that the distinction is they didn't think that the Rebbe is God's son. That in came a, in a Christological way. I mean, yeah, the, the Mashiach, we're all God's children, but not in. Right, you could say Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be Mashiach, the Baal Shem Tov, the Ben Ishchai, whoever, and the Rebbe is just on the list. My hope is, and I could just drop it. First of all, I want to say this to you: the people who there are people who are angry with me about this whole Chabad thing because they wonder, and they're Chabadniks, and they ask me, why don't you speak against these? Mishachistan groups, especially those who have all these ideas that the Rebbe is still alive and living in his house. They're the ones who often get angry. Why do you only, why don't you speak about it? So it's very important for you to know that there are many Chabadniks who could believe this is, a, is so offensive to the legacy of the Rebbe, including Rev Kerensky, the Rebbe's own secretary, person certainly closest to him. Uh, but that there would be these breakaway groups, this is unfortunate, but there's simply nothing resembling right. Christianity. It does superficially on a, uh, but in reality, it doesn't. But these points do, and it did horrify the Jewish world. Yeah, I think it still does. Yeah. What What causes a Jew to be drawn to Christianity? And is there a distinction between American Jews as opposed to Israeli Jews? 
No, there's no difference. The only thing is that Israeli Jews are less vulnerable to Jews for Jesus because they have access to the original language. Although right. Israelis speak modern Hebrew, but with modern Hebrew, you can open up Chumash, you can open up a Torah, and you can figure out what's going on here. It's not It's not um, like two different languages, essentially the same language. But I mean, the point is that Israelis could read. Now, you have many Israelis that are, are not Dati, who are not religious, but most of the Israelis... I believe, who are not observant, they believe in God. And if you tell them you don't believe in God, they go, what are you, crazy? Would you drive in Shabbos? Whatever. But they, there are people who can go to shul in the morning and then... So it's. I remember when, I forgot what his name was, the the mayor of, of Tel Aviv, was it? He said he was an atheist. It was so scandalous. You remember he ran for prime minister? So Am- Recently? Mitzna? What's his name? He was a general. General. So the yeah, but he ran for yeah. Prime he was Minister. the head of the Labour Party. He actually said that uh, he said that he's an atheist, and when he said he was an atheist, that was headlines. Country. Yeah, that's a general misconception that a lot of people that don't live here have. They think that there's this huge secular Jewish population, but they don't understand yeah, the that they're not secular like in America. In, right, right. Secular in America can't secular in America really can very likely mean person doesn't believe in God and Torah at all in Israel. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Look, I'm not, I want to speak about what I'm an expert in. The important thing is that Jews are really mostly lost, not to Jews for Jesus, but Jews for nothing. Absolutely nothing. But what happens then is a person's natural instinct is to connect to Hashem. That's why the vast majority of the world believes in God. But what happens is that there are Christians who are near them at the time of their lives where they're broken, when something is hurting inside, and their relationship with Hashem has been injured, and they become vulnerable to this. Do you want me to exchange this a little bit further? I do, but I also want you to think about Haredi Jews, which we spoke about. Right. So what has to happen is that a person has to be emotionally and spiritually shattered. If you hear the testimonial of Christian, and they tell you, why do they believe in Jesus? The story very frequently goes like this. This is not going to sound weird to you. So he goes up, you know, I used to be high. I was on drugs, drinking alcohol. I was a prostitute. I was this. I was doing all these things. And I was I was so drunk one night that I didn't know if I'd live. I was so high that I didn't know if I would make it to the morning. And I found Jesus. We both have met many Christians that embrace Judaism. Many. Thousands. We both met so many people who are or become Jewish, or you know, thousands of these people. Did you ever meet one when you ask, why did you choose Judaism? I said, well, I was drunk, I was high, <laughs> I, was, no, I was dancing in a club. Never, never met And then that. I found Moses. We never had this. So no. Let's explain what's going on here. What Christianity appeals to is this down. Christianity appeals to that broken heart that feels, I'm unworthy. My soul's broken, that there's nothing I can do to save myself. I have messed up in everything in my life, and there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just a bad person. The only reason why you don't know it is because you haven't figured it out yet. You can't see through the facade that I put forward, but inside I'm a broken person. Now, Christianity, instead of instead of saying, rise up, that's the message of Tanakh, you can do it. So it's just the opposite. You are a sinner. That feeling, that low self-esteem you have, after who's our biggest critic? Go look in the mirror. So Christianity just, just feeds off of that. That feeling of, I'm really a bad person. I have these bad thoughts. I, I wish I was a better person, but there's something wrong with me. And I'll, I'll, there's no way when I die, it is very unlikely that I'm going to have it. It's just really unlikely. You know, look, God can be merciful. I don't feel, I feel like I'm, I'm destined. When I, they're gonna, they're gonna turn up the flames of the furnace. That's how people feel that, that it's gonna be like, so what Christianity 
exploits that and says, you are in fact a sinner, you are worthless, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. And why are you worthless? Why are you sinful? Because you're infected with the original sin. This is all over Paul's writing. Augustine is all over this. I mean, the church fathers will develop this further and further as Calvin, further in Reformed theology. So this is core. Does that mean you're not to blame? You were born with this it's just a part of your nature. No, but not not you think so, but it doesn't come out that way. It doesn't it doesn't come it doesn't explore the way. I am a dirty let me tell you, I know you haven't been to church lately. So <laughs> I don't know when the last time you went the to church. The last time was in high school. I Dom- played in the band in right, church. Whatever. I got paid for it. <laughs> you sold. It was a good deal. <laughs> See, it's Jews like you that give us the guys up. So it doesn't work that way. So you think that he can't help himself. Like, like you're going, well, let's say someone who's completely mentally ill, or let's say a four-year-old. We would never put someone who's completely mentally ill or a four-year-old in prison. Accidents, things happen, but you know that they're not responsible. It's not the way it's viewed at all. What is believed is that you are really sinful. You are really wicked. You don't want the truth. A mis- horrendous rape. That's the word. I'm not using light words. The- Psalm 14 was raped by, by Paul in Romans chapter 3, where it says nobody wants to choose no, not one, and it's completely taken out of context. And you are there. The original sin is in you. Augustine explained this through a theology called realism. Realism means that we were all in Adam, and we were all present in the original sin. We all deserve to go to hell. There's, we are all damned under the law. Cursed. The law has been made a curse for us. This is all Paul. And you are a sinner. There's nothing there's nothing. Oh, you couldn't help us. So I guess you're. See, you're such a Jew. I love you. You're such <laughs> a Jew. Uh, the Christians. It's so funny. If there's a Christian listening to this, so a Christian's going, no, we don't believe that we're okay because we don't have nothing to do with it. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, it's, it's instinctual. What? Of course, because you're thinking like a Jew. No, no. So a Christian listening to us. Say you say, oh, I, we can't help it. That means we're not to blame. Chris, goes, no, no, no. I mean, that's like just horrifying. To that's like you know, I wasn't going to say you can't help it. So the only way that you can fix it is by bringing Jesus into your heart. We are, listen, we are all sinners. We cannot stand in the presence of God. God is perfect. Look, but we say that in our davening as well. No, no, no. But we, there's nothing we can do. To save ourselves. That is, here's the davening that we say, the haftar we say on every psalm, on every fast day. Isaiah 55, verse 6. It says, Seek the Lord, but when he's found, really such an hard passage, scream out to him when he's near. You should seek God when you found him? No, you seek for things that you haven't yet found, hoping to find it. You don't scream out to someone who's near. You scream out because someone's far away. Yeshaya Hanovi, he was really a very holy man. He lived 2,700 years ago. He was a giant. What happens is that people believe in God. They believe in the truth. But they feel that, yeah, I believe in God for sure, but there's no way he would forgive me for my sins. No way. Why? Because I'm really an evil person. When you feel God is near, he really is accessible to you. Now, in case you wonder whether what I'm saying is, it's those are the next few passages. The next passage says that if the person of iniquity repents, I will surely forgive him. The person of evil, I will forgive him. If he just turns back to him. And then the the Pusik the next verse, verse 8 and 9, is shocking. Isaiah explains why it is that we think God won't forgive us. You know why we think that God would never forgive me? He'll never forgive me for the stupid things I did. It is because we, to this day, have not forgiven many people who have hurt us. 
It's a good point. And we and then impose it onto God. Because there's someone who hurt me terribly years And we're ago, in God's image. We're created in God's image. And I never forgave that person. And I can't. How will God forgive me? I haven't forgiven what my best friend did to me. He betrayed me. And therefore, we then create God in our image. That's what all Christianity is. All Christianity is creating God as man. So we then impose that. That's what Christianity is. I mean, that really is what it is. So if we can't forgive others, then of course God can't forgive us. And he'll never forgive me. And I'd never forgive me if I were God. And the things I've done in my life, this is really how it goes. So how could I really forgive me? I would never forgive what my best friend did to me. My closest personal life, they totally betrayed me. And here's where you really, if you want to give Hashem a kiss, this is really, this is where you open your wings and pull the throttle and take off. Hashem is why I would do the unthinkable. This is, my friend, this is, this is, this is like going, making love to Hashem. This is really kissing Hashem. Because my ways are higher than your ways, you fool. I put those words in. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so too are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't do things the way you do. I will forgive, whereas you're incapable of forgiving sometimes. I will forgive you. Tshuva is accessible. Is it possible that the rain and the snow would fall and would satiate the, 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 the hungry and make seeds grow and not return to me? So too my word will not come down and not return to me. Now, if you're not in love, then this, you know, you need a hospital. This is so gorgeous, so ecstatic. There's such numinous passages. The prophet is showing you, look, I know why you're having trouble with this whole thing. God will do what is unimaginable to you. He will forgive you. Just turn back to him. Ah, I would never forgive me. This is what people are saying. I will. This is now when you look at what Christianity teaches, you have to be going, this is a horrible thing. This is a nightmare. This is the motherload of bad ideas. So therefore, I want to make this point because people, this, the least significant difference in Judaism and Christianity is that Christians got it wrong on who the name of the Messiah, who the Messiah is. That's the least issue. The most important issue is it's completely jettisoned who God really is, his mercy is, his plan for Hashem, and the nature of man. It's it's Mamish Esau, which is the opposite of Yaakov. It's Mamish, and that's why Akash Baruch Hu loves Judaism and hates Esau. Those are not my words. It actually says it's the opening words of, of the book of Malachi, Les a book of of the prophets where I loved Yaakov and Esau I hated. So that's what it is. It is the antithesis of everything that is sacred. How can I turn my back on these young men and women who are in the church? To summarize, the people are drawn to Christianity because they get to a point where they're broken. And then somebody approaches them and feeds into their brokenness. So let's say... I just say this to you, my yes. brother. We know, we're very good friends. And this holy person here really loves teaching Rav Nachman. If you read through the literature of this holy rabbi who lived many years ago, this is so much at the core of what he talked about, of how depression and how... Right, I a mean, lot. this is... If you think, oh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bresselver. Like, what was it? You think he invented his own, a new religion? What do you think? The great Hasidic giants who talk, all they were is they were able to convey information in a way that people can understand. They didn't, they can't know rabbi, no teacher, no prophet, no one could add anything. They was the stipler also, talked about this extensively. And the stipler is, 
you know, is, you know one is a literature, one Hasidic point is that they're all saying this. Rav Nachman is always saying this. This is the core. I mean, when you just unpack, 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 that's what's going on here. If you become overwhelmed with a sense of hopelessness, you're gone. That's the worst. Depression is the worst thing. You have to be in a state of Sikha. How can I be in the same state of Sikha? They show you the path. It can't be that every single person, every single Jew that embraced Christianity was a broken person. No, if, if I think you mean that, let's, let's, let's jettison those who weren't, I'm not a psychiatrist for the world. I don't know what people are thinking. I just know the people I speak to. So there were Jews who became Christians in the 18th century, 19th century, who became Christians because they just wanted uh, to be Practical reasons. I'm talking about now. Today? I'm talking about today. Today, and they're not totally assimilated, and they just marry some girl who's a Christian. I right. know people like that. You're not talking about that I'm, guy. I'm, really, the, what I'm trying to say, yeah, no. can someone approach a normal, healthy person, a Jew on the street, say, that I want to have a conversation yes. about Jesus, if the per, if and the convince per, the Jew to yes, become a if Christian. The person is, if the person is completely assimilated and they want more God, but they don't know where to look for it, Ravari Kaplan, Zechrein Levracha, told me many, many, many years ago, he said to me, to me, it's just a question of who gets to them first. Mm-hmm. It was his words. And he was dealing with this problem in when it was happening, wrote a book about this. Right. Um, Response when, to missionaries. Yes, uh, right. But you do have to have that broken soul because the whole idea that you're a sinner and nothing you can do to help you can do to get yourself out of that sin and that you are condemned has to resonate with you. It has to make sense to you in your world. And if it doesn't, you're going to utterly reject it. That's why the vast majority of Jews who are assimilated find this utterly repulsive. That's why the vast overwhelming majority of Jewish people are utterly, even if they're not religious, find this completely odious. But you have cases where people have a broken neshama. And when you're dealing with Jews who are completely assimilated and something you alluded to a moment ago, and I've discovered this recently, I didn't know that there were any Orthodox Jews who got involved in this. And let me just make this very clear. It's not that the vast majority of Jews who join Jews for Jesus are from non-religious backgrounds. It's 99%, something along that order. Just something, it's not like 75%. And, and, and it's important to emphasize why that's very curious, because if the church is saying that the truth of Christianity can be found in the Jewish scriptures, the only people who are studying Tanakh are Orthodox Jews. If you're a reforming conservative, please don't be offended by that. But as it turns out, every Orthodox family sends their kids to yeshiva. There are, I'm just going to say that, and please don't be offended. That's the way it is. So it would... It is therefore, though the, you can clearly show that the more you know about your faith, less likely it is that you're going to wind up in a church. Of course, of course. But there are people who are so personally shattered and whose sense of self has so utterly been gutted that the idea that I will never be able to save myself, that there's just something wrong with me, and the idea that Jesus gave his life for me and he'll never cheat on me, he'll never lie to me, he'll never turn his back on me, this becomes very, very attractive to them. And and, and then what happens is that they are then showed passages in the Jewish scriptures, which the church teaches is a fulfillment of prophecy, And but they're usually reading it through a King James Bible, they're reading it through an NIV. I mean, this may surprise the religious Jewish audience here, but no Christian child is taught Hebrew, not, unless they're living in this country. There's not a single middle school in America for Christians where they learn Hebrew. Christians can learn Hebrew at the university level. Latin, I mean, what's so crazy? Latin, the official language of the Roman Empire. This they learn in the fancy schools, but not Hebrew because it would be so dangerous. So therefore, what happens to them is by the time 
For the time they're in university, 99% of them are learning. If they're learning Hebrew, they just took the two semesters. They don't understand it. It's too late. They don't have access to the original. But we are seeing broken neshamas that are getting involved in these groups. And it shocks me. And I told my father, may he be well, about this a few weeks ago, that I met and helping now some Haredim got involved in this. My father was so horrified by this. I couldn't even stop him. He wasn't crying. But he was almost screaming out of his soul. He was going, how is it possible? What? What? And he couldn't. And I was shocked. I was shocked. So that is, that is true. But isn't that just because the person is broken? You can be Haredi. You can be knowledgeable. But if you're still at reach that place where you're broken. So here, here's the difference. See, if you are if you have a strong background. So there are people who go off the deck for a for a short period, longer period. But if they want to plug into God, they know where to find it. There are people, for whatever reason, they go off in the wrong direction. Okay? But they know if they want more God, they have to leave Tel Aviv, they have to leave Thailand, and just come back to Jerusalem. They know where to plug in if they want it. Okay, they, They'll find it in Mayanot. They'll find it in wherever. They, they know where it is. Right now, mm. I'm on vacation. I'm in Thailand. Now, I'm having a good time. But they know where it is and they know Thailand isn't it. So that's how it works. So for most of them, it's just those who go off the the path, the proper path, they eventually find their way back. Hopefully they do find their way back. But to join Christianity is abhorrent. But what happens if there's trauma, I'm talking about real trauma. Again, I want to say if there's real trauma, real trauma, really their world in a sense collapsed and matching that with the self-esteem that's been shattered. And the, the Christian that they work with is a nice person and is there at the right time, at the right place, the most horrible time, then they're able to, to get them to join in. A, a number of factors have to enter, but that sense of the trauma has to always be there. Is Islam also a threat to Judaism in a similar way? So as it turns out, Islam has experienced a lot of homogenization. There are a lot of Christians who become Muslims, Muslims who become Christians. In in Europe, there are Muslims who leave the faith. Many people who join Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. That said, there's just very little homogenization between Muslims and Jews. I mean, there are some, and I've met them. There are some Muslims who have converted to Judaism. There are some Jews who have converted to Islam, but it's very, very unusual. Highly unusual. It happens. Um... But it's, there's also no unified effort among Muslims to go out and convert Jews to Islam. And it's just a very, it would be a very odd experience for a Muslim to try to convert you. I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not going to even ask you if that ever happened. You might have if you studied. Yeah, for sure it did. Because I studied Islam. You studied Islam. But normally this doesn't happen to people. They, there's really is a mutual respect. You know, when Jews study Islam, and I've stood in front of, look, I lived in Indonesia as a rabbi for five years. I stood in front of Muslim audiences a lot. And Muslims will be listening to me teaching Torah, teaching Jewish, and their just jaws would drop and go, that's exactly what we believe. You're like, we're so almost like this. We're so, this is really, and Jews study Islam and go, but well, you have a right. concept of tzedakah and this is the Nashem's mercy. Fasting, Rachman, and fasting. And every area of Islamic life is governed. You know, when I started studying Islam, I started years ago. I didn't do it formally as you did. I started, I was so fascinated by by Islamic law, we call it halacha and they call it sharia. Really, two words that mean the same thing. It means the proper path. It was very interesting that their way of thinking is, it, it just, was, the similarities were very, very striking. I found that utterly fascinating. And it's its not an accident, I don't think, that the Talmud emerged out of Babylon in the beginning of the 6th century and Islamic sharia 
emerges out of the same place roughly a century later. It's um, the the that's why there is a there really is a mutual respect. I mean, we are going through a really horrible time now. Let's not we. I mean, we are politically in a really bad situation. Yeah, I was going to say religiously. Maybe philosophically, theologically, there's a respect, but we experience terrorism here. Right, because that's, but that's political. That's Dara and, al-Islam. And look at in America, you've got the Democratic Party that's becoming so yeah, but, anti-Israel. Right, but you... you, you and who are the biggest supporters? Yeah, Muslims but, in America. Yeah, but the, the, even though the... The enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that's what's going on there. So you have that that merging. They, they they really they are merging together for a common interest. The there there's something different going on there, but it's the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and that's what's playing out there. The issue between Jews and Muslims today is is completely political, not theological. I've never heard. I don't know. I'm just saying I've never heard. Muslims don't make it a practice of, of attacking the Jewish faith itself. There's some people who are troublemakers out there, but it's just not common. Generally mm-hmm. speaking, Muslims will say, I really respect Judaism. And the more they learn about Jewish life and what we believe in our core faith, they go, wow, that's what goes on. That's what goes on. But I mean, you want to talk about the political issue. I don't know if you want me to touch on that. I so. wanted to move some back, back to Christianity. I don't think you want to do that. No, back to Christianity. I want to... To ask, why is it so important for Christians that Jews become Christians? Why isn't it enough for them to say, I'm a Christian, I'm happy, I have my place in heaven, and you Jew, whatever they think, you're going to burn in hell. But so what? So let it be. There are three reasons for this. It first should be said that um, Christians don't want to just convert the Jews, they want to convert the world. Well, you see, their Muslims also want to convert the world. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But Christians are making it a concerted effort to reach out to Jews. Muslims kind of focus on themselves. So I want to remove reason number one and just go to reason two and three, because those are very big. Because why the Jews? I mean, so there's, there's two reasons for it, and this is not in any order as they come to mind. Two Well, first of all, the New Testament literally says it. So I'm going to go back to three reasons. Number one, Matthew chapter 10 literally says, go not into the way of the Gentiles and the city of Samaritans, and you not only go into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Literally, Romans chapter one, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power unto salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile, and then to the Greek. Number one, the New Testament itself prioritizes Jews for conversion. That's going to link in with reason three. The second reason is the Jews have an eschatological role to play in the in Jesus' second coming, which no one else does. The eschatology is the end of the world? Uh, eschatology means the study of the end of the world. Uh, the, it comes from a Greek word, eschaton. Eschaton means the end. So eschatology means the study of the end. And then you could put that all together. So Christians are very interested in the end of the world. What's going to happen? How is it going to happen? At the end of Matthew 23, it's a searing chapter. The first two verses actually say that religious Jews, Orthodox Jews, it's not the word to use, Pharisees, they literally sit in Moses' seat and whatever they tell you, do. And then it explodes into a attack on Pharisaic Jews, as hypocrites and vipers do as they say, but not what they do. That's where that line comes from, that chapter. And the chapter just is just, just an explosion. It's really, the chapter's done its share of damage. But it ends this way. The chapter says, Jesus speaking, we are told to a Jewish audience, and Jesus, we are told, says the following, I will not return unless you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Because Jesus, when he made that statement, as I said, was speaking to a Jewish audience, the church understands this to mean one thing. What Jesus actually saying is, I will not make my second coming unless the Jewish people accept Jesus in mass. And therefore, there's this enormous effort to convert the Jews, to bring them to the cross so that Jesus can make his second coming. So we play that role. The conversion of Eskimos and 
Puerto Ricans, whatever. That's surely John three sixteen all over the heaven at the Super Bowls. That's that's not going to bring Jesus. Only the Jew. The Jews have to know Christ. They have to come to the cross. That's and that's why the effort now has been stirred up because of the thinking in the churches. We're in it after the sixty seven war, especially just years after the the methods that, that the church has used to converge has become much more sophisticated and produce the messianic movement than Jews for Jesus and so on. But there's a third reason that I think is most important. There's a third reason to explain why Christians are so obsessed with Jews and why it brings them such joy whenever they convert a Jew. When they, when they get a Jew, let me tell you, they're walking around, give a look, a Jew came to know the Lord. Isn't they walking or parading around? The guy has a new career, they're from church to church. And they have these Israelis that mommish travel all over the world. They're going first class, and they're going, look at this, a Jew who accepted Christ. Everyone, oh, if it's an Eskimo, fine. If it's someone from Honduras, fine. A Jew, a Jew accepted Christ. This is a tremendous thing. Why? need to understand the psyche of the Christian. There's something that bothers them, something that bothers Christians deeply. Jesus was what? Jesus was a Jew, and the claim is that he is the Messiah. The word Christ is just a Greek word for that. The idea of Messiah is uniquely Jewish. The notion that a man would come at the end of days and usher in the utopian side of world peace, love, knowledge of God, the, only the Jews believe that. And only Jews can read this document in its original language. And they were there. They were right here in Eretz When Jesus lived in Eretz Israel, whether he was in northern Galilee or whether he was here in Yishlam, according to the Gospels, who met him? Who met him? Someone, someone from Honduras? No. All Jews were there. So the Jews were there. The Jews really needed a Messiah. I mean, the first century went on an amazing time, that Messiah. Why? Because the first century was just a nightmare. It was a nightmare. It was just, the first century was a nightmare for Jewish life in Israel. How they survived, and many didn't. So if his message even had whatever that message was, I don't know if you want to get into the theology. No. You don't want that. But the, for the Christian is, I mean, the Jew was there. He met him. The Jew knows his Bible is and only he can read it in its original language. And then only the Jews knew the Jewish scriptures. It's not like today where other religions knew the Jewish scriptures. In the first century, only Jews knew the Jewish scriptures. People who were living in Greece, they didn't know the Jewish scriptures. Pagans, they didn't know anything about it. And the Jews are also, this also plays into it, Jews have a reputation of being pretty smart. Jews have this reputation of being really smart. They can say all oh, that thing. No one's going to say the Jews are stupid. And that's why they're not stupid. People have been a reputation for their intelligence who were there, who could read the thing, and they met him and said, he's not the Messiah, although we wish he was. And therefore, it's only the conversion of a Jew to Christianity that can lend any credibility to the cross, never the conversion of a Gentile. And that's why the Jew must be converted above all else. It brings them peace because the fear that's there, it's in the back, and the recess is what happens if the Jews are right. Because for Christians, and this is what the Rambam alludes to, so I'm not going to go into it now, is to the Christian, if they're wrong, if you ask the Christian, if Jesus is not the Messiah, who then has the truth? So Judaism is the default baseline, and it's not Sadducee Judaism. It means Orthodox Judaism, that's just the conventional word today. It was in the first century. Then it'll be Pharisaic Judaism. Orthodox Torah observed people, people who believe in written and oral Torah. We know this from all sources. This was the most, the center of, so therefore, the conversion of a Jew brings them relief. It brings them, ah, a Jew accepted Christ. That's the thing. But the question is, if really the proof and truth of Christianity is, can be illustrated from the Jewish Bible, why is there a, a complete correlation between, as a Jew, the less you know about Judaism, the more likely is that you're going to accept Jesus? It should be the reverse. If what they're saying is the case, then there should be some sort of correlation between the more you know about the Jewish scriptures, the more 
likely you are to believe in Jesus. Yet who are the, the men and women who are lost to these groups? Are these people who went to yeshiva, the other scholars? No. They're kids who have just been utterly shattered and lost and, and know nothing about the faith they were asked to abandon. So that comes back to where you started when I said to you, what's the big deal if a Jew believes in Christianity? The Christians themselves are saying, basically with their actions and trying to convert Jews, we're not certain that we have the truth because the Jews never embraced Christianity. Here there was a Jewish population standing in front of Jesus, hearing him speak to them. The Jews rejected Jesus in the past. We're essentially rejecting Jesus now by not embracing him. If it was the truth, the Jews would have accepted it in the past, and we would be accepting it now. The more learned a Jew is now, according to how Christianity should work, the more Orthodox Jews would become Christians. They should be breaking the doors down the church. Since the Jews should, Jews Orthodox, you should be breaking down the church. All these up you said in the beginning, it's a, false, it's a false idea. It's adultery. And the Christians, basically, by trying to convert Jews, are saying, yeah, you're right. No, no Christian would say, so they, you're right or you might be right. No Christian would admit this. If you press them hard enough, they would admit if they're wrong, then Judaism is the truth. There's nothing more horrifying to a Christian than their brother or sister becoming a Jew. If, if a person, a Christian, says to his pastor or his mother, I don't believe in God, or I don't think I believe in God anymore, come, let's talk. Put on, let's talk, whatever. Usually, most Christians, pastors, I think, would respond Let's talk about it. You go try to say that, oh, no, 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 I believe in God completely. I believe in the Torah, the, all the prophets, the Word of God. I just don't think Jesus is the Messiah, and I think the Jews are right. That's the most horrifying thing possible. There's nothing. Why? That's a nightmare because it's, it's the fear. What bothers you? Is it the things that you're secure about or insecure about? Obviously, if it's the things that we're insecure about. What would bother you if someone, if you already feel like you're you're too tall, you're too short, you don't have enough hair on your head, you have too much hair on your head, your ears are too... So obviously, it's the thing that you feel insecure about that really you will react to more viscerally. How does it work when someone comes to you and they are convinced that Christianity is the true path what method do you use? What do you do? Rebbe used to say that there's a reason why you have two ears and one mouth. Listen. Learn to listen. So when I speak to someone in the church, when I sit down with someone who is converted, I sit and I listen a lot. Because even though I've spent a lot of time here explaining why there's a certain themes that run through it, each person is, is unique. You've got to l listen for where the pain is, what the hurt is. And in truth, the best thing is to learn to listen. And God is listening. So instead of playing the white piece, I very much want to respond to what's most important to the person I'm encountering, the person I'm counseling, the person who has questions, the broken soul. I want to listen. I sometimes could sit there for 45 minutes and just listen. I don't interrupt. And I'm listening and I'm listening and I'm listening. And they're saying all kinds of things that I find they're, they're, they're misapprehending completely. I let it go. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting to find that anomaly. Those where those it's something doesn't connect. Because you know, when you're looking for gold, when geologists are looking for oil and gas and they look at the world that we don't have access with our eyes using all sonar and so on, they're not looking for patterns, they're looking for something odd. They're looking for an anomaly and they go, Ah, this is where you dig. This is where the oil is. This is where the natural gas is. You want to find gold? I see there's an anomaly in the in the rocks. It's pointing us, this is where you should start drilling. Very expensive to drill. It costs a fortune. So they have these guys who all they do is they study this and they're looking for where's the 
oil, it's where there's something odd. Same thing in Tanakh. When you come to a passage, and passage is odd. Keep studying it. There's, there's, there's gold there. So what I do is I listen. I know the standard fare that comes from the Christian. I know the sta- I know what's going to happen. I've been doing this a very long time, 40 years. So what I'm doing rather is I'm listening and listening, not for their mistakes in theology and doctrine, because most people just automatically go, oh, we don't believe that. Oh, you're wrong about that. Just let it go. Let it go. And then you're looking at the chart. You know, when doctors look at an MRI, what are they looking for? They're not looking for normal patterns of healthy tissue. It's looking for something, God forbid, that's not right. And then they go, okay, let's really send it into the pathologist. That's what I'm doing. I'm listening for something that doesn't make sense, something that doesn't fit. I'm going, okay, that's where I look. So it's different for me. It's very, very dangerous to make whole, you know, even though you've been doing that, and I want the listener to know what's going on here. But there is, that's the macro, there is the micro, and it's very important to listen. Thanks a lot, Tovia. Thank you, Reva. That was Rabbi Tovia Singer, the founder of Outreach Judaism. You can learn more about Tovia by going to outreachjudaism.org or go to his YouTube channel by simply searching for Tovia Singer. If you're enjoying these episodes and you'd like to become a financial supporter of Jewish People and Ideas, you can go to jewishpeopleideas.com and you'll see a link there to become a supporter. Some people have already been supporting the podcast, helping me to buy new equipment for one-on-one interviews. And I want to thank everyone for their support, for your listening support, for your financial support. Please make sure wherever you listen to this podcast to leave a review and feedback It will help increase the exposure and get more listeners for the podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to the next episode, which is coming very soon.